Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The epistle lesson for today is from Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. This can be found on page 1116 of your Pew Bible. These introductory verses to the book of Romans contain a brief summary of the gospel and demonstrate that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. A reading from Romans chapter 1, beginning with the first verse. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Thanks be to God. I absolutely love hanging out with Pastor Richard. For those of you who don't know Richard, he's the executive director of Pivot Ministries, one of our mission partners. Pivot is a men's addiction recovery ministry. And I love hanging out with Richard because he exudes joy. For those of you who know him, you know this about him. But not only that, he also, when he's with a group of Christians, he does something rather unique and interesting. He calls them out by their true identity. Maybe you've seen him do this. He calls them saints. And maybe when you hear yourself called a saint, you think that's kind of odd. But Richard, he's merely doing what the Bible actually already says about us. Maybe you notice that in our passage today. In Romans chapter 1, verse 7, Paul, he's writing to the living members of the church, and he says this, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. This, in fact, is one of over 40 times that Paul calls the living members of God's church saints. And maybe when you hear yourself called a saint, your first response is, well, I'm no saint, Pastor. A saint's Mother Teresa or Francis of Assisi. Or maybe you even grew up in parochial school and you had your own saint. Or maybe when called a saint, your first thought is, well, if Pastor Richard really knew me, and he knew the way I lived. He wouldn't be calling me that. Or maybe more positively, you've been a Christian for many years and you've been reading the Bible, you've been praying, you've been coming to church, but your thought is, well, you know, I don't think I've quite achieved saint status yet. I mean, how does one even do that? Well, that's actually exactly what we're going to be looking at in our scriptures this morning. And what we're going to see is that our status as saints it actually has very little to do with us and a lot to do with God. 
and his love. And specifically, what we're going to see in Romans chapter 1 is that our status as saints is something that God established beforehand. And he's now revealed to us through his prophets, his scriptures, and his son, Jesus. So let's dive in to look at how God has established our status as saints beforehand, starting in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. Paul, he begins his letter to the church at Rome by introducing himself, but then it's as if, like Mary last week, he immediately turns the lens to God and what God is doing and what he's done for him. And notice the language he uses here in verse 1. He says that he's been called and set apart. And what has he been called and set apart for? Well, he's been set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. I love this language that Paul uses here, the gospel of God. The word used here for gospel in Greek is euangelion, which is where we get that word for evangelism today. And it simply means good news. So what is Paul saying here? Well, he's simply saying that the good news message, it didn't begin with him or any other man. It actually didn't even begin with the birth of Jesus. But rather, this good news message began with God in heaven. And we actually learn this in one famous Advent passage that Denise read for us this morning as she lit one of our candles in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. For the first person to actually preach the gospel message isn't a human at all. It's actually an angel sent from God to a group of shepherds. The angel, he shows up and he says this, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You see, what the Bible puts forward is that good news message. It starts with God. You see, friends, the gospel was God's plan. It was his idea. And I think this is a good word for some of us because many of us, we feel okay with our relationship with Jesus. He seems quite approachable and friendly. But when we think about God the Father, God Almighty, we think of this scary, judgmental sovereign that's just waiting for us to slip up. But friends, that couldn't be further from the truth. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because of his message to us, his good news. You see, the gospel message, it was God's idea. And the good news is that he has called us and set us apart. That's all a saint is, is one who's been set apart. And I think this does deem a question for us, though. Well, why? Why do we even need to be set apart? I mean, why do we need this angel to come and reveal this message to us? Why do we need Christmas? Why do we need Christ to be born? What is God calling us out of? Well, we get a picture into what God's calling us out of from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 of his book. 
Isaiah, he's looking out on the state of humanity and he makes this statement. That we all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned his own way. You see, the picture that Isaiah puts forward for humanity is like that of wandering sheep lost in the wilderness, wandering away from God's goodness, from his perfection. And what do we wander into? Well, the Bible tells us what we wander into, sin. These are the things that we do to hurt ourselves and hurt one another. And by nature, when God looks out in his perfection and sees us in our wandering and in our sin, he sees this brokenness and it grieves him. But not only that, because he's perfect and he's righteous, he also has perfect wrath towards sin because he is a judge. Paul, he actually goes on to talk about this a few chapters or verses later in Romans 1 where he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And I don't have to look far to see this wandering in our world and in my own life and in the lives of the ones I love. In fact, I get to see this almost daily as a dad. Those of you who have raised a toddler, you know exactly what I'm talking about. My boy Samuel, he's two and a half and left to his own devices. It's almost as if there's like this magnet in him that draws him towards things that are dangerous, that could harm him. Just the other day, I experienced this. Samuel and I, we were outside of the garage and we were playing together and I looked away to work on one of our bikes. And it was probably about 60 seconds. And I looked up and Samuel had managed to run all the way down the driveway, almost to the street. And so immediately I dropped everything and I sprinted as fast as possible. I haven't ran that fast since I was in Afghanistan, to be honest. <laughs> and as I got to my son, I grabbed him and I remember my heart was beating out of my chest. My adrenaline was pumping. And I was immediately filled with multiple emotions, but for the most part, I felt joy because my son was safe from harm and because he was with me. And as I held Samuel there, I got this sense that this is a picture of Advent. This is a picture of the Christmas story. You see, because in Christmas, God, he sent his son for us. That's what this is all about, God's overwhelming pursuit of us. That's actually what Isaiah goes on to talk about in chapter 53 in the second half of his verse. I only gave you the first part. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. But then he says, and the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. You see, God himself, as he looked out over the state of man and saw us in our wandering, he didn't leave us to his own, our own devices. Rather, he sent his son to pursue us, to save us, not only from his own righteous wrath against all ungodliness, but from our own sin. And this is what Advent and Christmas are all about. God recklessly pursuing us. 
and he's had a plan to do so since the beginning of time. Evidence of that plan is the fact that you are in this fairy room right now. Did you know that God knew you would be here before all of creation? The Father knew you'd be sitting in this room hearing me and hearing his message. And his message is one of his loving pursuit of you to call you and set you apart as his saint. You see, that's why this is the good news of God. So I know what some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, pastor, I get it. I understand that you would chase after your son to keep him from harm. I mean, that's something tangible. That's something I can see. But is there any tangible ways God has pursued me? Well, that's exactly what Paul is going to go on to talk about in verse two. And he's going to give us three tangible ways that God's revealed this pursuit of us. So let's read on about that in verse two. He says this, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. So what are the three ways God's tangibly revealed his pursuit? Well, the first is through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the prophets at work in the Scriptures. In fact, there are over 133 total prophets, 16 of which who are women. And these prophets were specifically directed by God to chase after his people. The last prophet is John the Baptist, and he personifies what all the prophets did before him as he tells the people to repent, or in other words, turn from their wicked ways back to the loving embrace of the Father. And where do we learn about the prophets? Well, in the second way that God reveals his pursuit to us, in his holy scriptures. Notice the qualifier Paul uses as he talks about the Bible. He uses this word holy, which means set apart or different from this world. You see, and we believe, like Paul, that this book, it's set apart. It's holy. That means it's different than any other book you can read. Sometimes I'll have people come to me and they'll say, Pastor, I really just want to hear from God. I want a word from him. And I say, he's already spoken to you. Just open up his word. Friends, this is why as your pastor, I encourage you to open this book, read this book, devour this book. Because this is one of the main ways that God reveals his loving pursuit of us. This is why at our church, we're committed to read this Bible on Sundays and in over 30 Bible studies throughout the week in community with one another. This is why Pastor Nathan and Eric and I host the five-minute Bible study where we mine this book for the wisdom and treasure of God. But the prophets and the scriptures, they're not the only two ways God has revealed his pursuit to us. What Paul puts forward eventually is that God, he's made his pursuit fully known to us through his son, Jesus. So let's read on about that in verse three. He continues, he says, concerning his son, that's Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, 
Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, Jesus is the culmination of God's pursuit of us. That's what Jesus actually lives for, is to pursue you and me. That's what Advent is all about, how Jesus stepped off his throne in heaven to be born a helpless baby for you and for me so that we could be restored to the Father. You know, even right now as we sit in the sanctuary, Jesus, he's actually pursuing us. The Bible tells us what he's doing right now. I want you to picture with me for a moment the throne room of God. The Father, he's seated on the main throne. The Bible tells us at his right hand is Jesus. And you know what Jesus is doing as he sits there on that throne at the right hand of God? He's whispering in God's ear prayers for you and for me. In fact, that's what Hebrews 7.25 tells us. It says, Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So what does Jesus live for? He lives to pursue you. And in his pursuit, he's constantly making intercession for you. This simply means he's standing in the gap for you and for me. One of the clearest pictures we get of Jesus' intercession and pursuit is found in John 17, in his high priestly prayer. In John 17, Jesus is getting ready to face the cross. It's the night before the crucifixion. And he knows exactly what's coming for him. He knows the following morning that he's going to be tortured and that eventually he'll go to the cross. And as he faces this excruciating pain, what I find so interesting about him is he's not thinking about himself. Rather, he's thinking about you and me. And he prays this prayer for us. I love his prayer. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, that's you and I, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. You see, this is how much Jesus loves us. Even as he faced death, all he could think about was us. All he could do was pray for us. And the culmination of Jesus' loving pursuit of us would come the next day on the cross. You see, this is the beauty of the cross. It's a physical illustration of what Jesus lives for, and that's to stand in the gap. For upon the cross, Jesus, he was pursuing us so much that he died in our place so that we could be restored to the Father. Now, I don't think these are the only things that Jesus has prayed for us. I believe he's also whispering some other prayers to the Father, things that we look at in verse 5 as we read on. Through whom, that's Jesus, we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. I picture Jesus whispering to the Father right now for us, and he says, Lord, give them your grace. 
Lord, set them apart as your apostles. Lord, give them your gift of obedience, for they belong to me. You see, we receive all these things through Jesus. We don't earn them. It's not like one morning we wake up and we think, I'm going to muster up some grace today. I encourage you, try that. See how it goes for you. It won't last too long. No, these things are just received through Jesus' intercession, through his finished work, through his pursuit of us. This is the good news of God. So, okay, okay. I know what you're probably thinking. Well, pastor, there's got to be a catch. This sounds too good to be true. I mean, is there anything I can contribute to my own sainthood? Is there anything I can change about my own life? Well, there is. And Paul, he actually gives us a picture into this. And he tells us in verse 1. Notice what he says about himself. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. This word that Paul uses here for servant is doulos in Greek, which means bondservant or slave. And believe it or not, this is our response to the good news. And this is how we fully walk into sainthood, is by, like Paul, becoming slaves to God. And I know slavery or servitude, it's kind of a tough sell. And slavery and servitude, it is bad in the human sense if one human owns another. Because a human master can never have their slave's best interest in mind. But imagine having an owner that you've centered your life on that always has your best interest in mind. That knows what's better for you than you know for yourself. Imagine centering your life on that owner. You see, this is what I believe is unique about the saints throughout history, is the saints were centered on him. You see, the saints, the beauty of them, is they're not, that they're not really about the saints. They're about God. And I think this is why Pastor Richard radiates such joy. Because Pastor Richard, he's not really about Richard. Rather, he's centered on God. And this is what I've learned is the counterintuitive nature of our response to the good news. And it's this. The more we make our lives about ourselves and what we can accumulate and what we can accomplish, the more miserable and exhausted we are. But the less we make our lives about ourselves and the more we make them about God, the more joy and freedom and peace we walk into. You see, this is what I love about Paul. He was a totally free man, even when he was in chains in prison. So where does this servitude begin? Well, it's a lifelong process of becoming a servant of Jesus, but it does have a starting point. And it simply begins with declaring Jesus as Lord and Savior. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never done that. Well, if that's you, I'm here to tell you today, God's been pursuing you since before the beginning of time to call you and set you apart. So I encourage you, respond to his message and submit your life to him. For in it, you'll find great joy and freedom. 
So maybe it's your first time hearing this message. If that's you, I encourage you now to pray this prayer after me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you have called me and have set me apart as a saint through your death and resurrection. I believe this in my heart and confess it with my mouth that Jesus is my Savior and Lord. And I receive eternal life in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, we pastors would love to follow up with you in your next steps of faith. We'd love to baptize you. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.